0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we're going to talk very quickly throughout the entirety of the podcast because we have a beefy podcast for you. It is full stuff to talk about. We are going to talk to Red Sox top prospect, Marcelo Meyer. And in light of that, we're going to take a look back at that 2021 draft class where he was the number one ranked draft prospect in that class. So we want to take a look back and see how it's shaping up now, two years later. Uh, We've had several players called up, including a couple from that draft class. In Tanner Bybee and Bryce Miller recently called up a couple other top 100 prospects, getting their big league call-ups as well, Gavin Stone and Michael Bush, both of the Dodgers. So we'll take a look at those guys and tell you a little bit about what to expect from them. We are going to look at our first in-season rookie power rankings. We did one leading into the year. We've got our first one a month in, and there's a a little shakeup, some new names, some names rising and falling. We'll go through that. Uh, as well as taking a look at the prospect team of the week and highlight a couple players from that team. And we have a question in the mailbag from our old friend, Stevie D. All right, guys, 2021 draft class. I think that when you guys put together those rankings and when we were coming down to the wire for that draft, the, the one of the big themes were the high school shortstops in that class. And Marcelo Meyer was number one, uh, ranked number one in that draft class. But there were several other guys uh, right up at the top of the class. Jordan Lawler was number three. Khalil Watson was number four. Brady House uh, was number eight. And of course, I, I think as we came down to the wire, that class became more known for the Vanderbilt. Pitching duo of lighter and rocker, but really, I think throughout, would, is it safe to say that the the big theme was high school shortstops?
0: Um, I'm going to give the the great answer, yes and no, because I <laughs> actually think
1: <laughs> <laughs> two answers from Jim. Yes,
0: I, I well, because I I do think th- there was so much attention actually focused on on lighter and rocker at Vanderbilt from day one that that was. Like, even casual fans were kind of following lighter and rocker more than they follow draft guys usually. Um, and so I would put the Vanderbilt duo as the dominant story and the plethora of shortstops as like one b to the Vandy one a if 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 I were allowed to quibble with you a little
1: bit. Yeah, I mean those guys, those guys were certainly more, you are not allowed to quibble more famous, right? and and people people wanted them, kind of thought they were the top. Couple of guys in the in the class, but you guys, in reflecting what you heard from the industry, uh, begged to differ.
2: Uh, I mean, maybe we just differed. I don't. I, we don't. Beg. I don't know if you begged. We had them two and six, so we
0: weren't exactly I mean, that's, like we didn't beg, throwing yeah. cold water on them,
2: right? Uh. Yeah, and I think you know, there's a difference between you know how we rank and what the the main storylines are. I, I would agree with with Jim's uh, quibbling. Um, it you know in 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 that what the like the main the main storyline is, but also, you know, to have three high school shortstops in in the top ten, you know, in, in the ranking, it, it's not something that happens all that often, and it certainly stood out. Um, and we had Marcelo Meyer, you know, at the very top. Uh, so it, the 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 Vandy duo may have been like the the big storyline that everyone knew about, but we still had one of those high school shortstops uh, at the top of our draft rankings.
1: And. Meyer has more or less sort of held serve, right he's number seven on the current top 100 prospects list. Uh, Lawler as well. he's number nine. Um, Khalil Watson nowhere to be found on the top 100 list and is now number 13 on the Marlins list. Um, he didn't go until number 16 in the draft, but he was he was ranked. Uh, number four in that class. And then Brady House, uh, also not on the top 100, but is number five on the Nationals' top 30 list. You've got some guys who are some high school shortstops from that class that are now ranked ahead of those guys. Uh, One that's taken a, a really big jump is Jackson Merrill, who was number 79 on the draft prospects list back then has leapt up to number 17 on the top 100 overall. Uh, Edwin Arroyo was number 83 then is number 37 now.
0: Carson Williams, I think, isn't he? He's on the top 100.
1: Col- uh, Colson Montgomery. Yeah, Colson Montgomery. Quite a few uh, of the high school shortstops have uh, jumped ahead of these guys. I guess I started to ask, are you surprised by the way this is shaking out? And I guess, you know, based on how they were ranked, the the answer has to be yes.
0: Well, I'm gonna go yes and no <laughs> oh, again <man>. yes. <laughs> because I think this we have a title the dra- for this week's podcast. This is this is the draft, Jason. And as is, is our good friend Chris Buckley with the red says it's the yes
2: and no draft.
0: The draft is hard and it never plays out exactly like you think it's gonna play out. So you know I, I will in Brady House's defense. He's not that far from rejoining the top 100. Yeah, he, he had a back gonna. injury last year. He's looking more like his old self. So I think he's going to rejoin the top 100 soon. And, and even the Marlins, I mean, Khalil Watson had kind of a, I shouldn't say kind of, had a disastrous season last year in terms of swinging and missing and some like just discipline issues and playing too intent, not controlling his emotions on the field. And I know, I mean, look, teams are always going to be optimistic. Like, hey, the guy's going to learn from that. And he's been hurt a little bit this year, so he's only played five games. But they're they're hoping he can bounce back. But no, I mean, look, I mean Montgomery, we had ranked as a first round pick, you know, just not in that top eight with the other guys. Um, you know, with uh, with Jackson Merrill Johnson, he was in your part of the country. He was a guy who was a late bloomer, who people were trying to figure out as as the draft approached. Like he was like a a helium guy in the spring, and you know, Royo was an extremely young puerto Rican shortstop who you know hadn't been seen necessarily it you know on the showcase circuit like the us kids had and um so I, I not, not really I mean guys kind of you know get better get worse you know especially high school players so I will I will lean towards the no of yes or no and I will continue to answer all questions today as yes and no
2: <laughs> the equivocating is gonna hurt after a little while but I, I think that's it you know we talk about high school pitching, obviously, as, as being the sort of high risk, and you never know which way it's going to go. And while while the the hitters uh, there's less risk, you you just don't know how you know young players are going to develop. Edwin Arroyo is a great example because he was super young for his class, and there was questions about the impact with the bat. Well, he's gotten a lot stronger, you know, and and has shown that he you know that that he can drive the ball, and that's you know, made a huge difference. You know, Jackson Merrill was another guy that everyone thought he could hit. Um, but uh, to, to Jim's point, he was one of these pop-up guys. He's from Maryland. You know, the, the competition was not great. Uh, he, he wasn't seen that much over the previous summer, right? So you, you just don't know whether that up arrow that you saw during his senior year was something that was going to continue. Obviously, it has. You know, So I think those are the reasons why we've seen, you know, some of the... the the movement with guys who are, you know, a little bit lower on the list, uh, even a guy like I'm looking at the at the draft class. Noah Miller is another high school guy out of Wisconsin, who ended up uh, going in the competitive balance A round to to the Twins. You know, 36th overall, he's making some nice steps forward. He still needs to add strength. The Twins love him, so that's another guy.
1: So outside of the the high school shortstops, um, and, and- Inclusive of everyone from this draft, the guys who made the biggest jumps uh, from their draft ranking to where they are on the current top 100 list, the top three, all pitchers, Gordon Graceffo, uh was ranked number 204 going into the draft. He's now number 72, uh, Cardinals right-hander. Tanner Bybee uh, was 162, now 57, and uh, Ricky Tiedemann has jumped from his draft ranking of 125 all the way up to number 28. So, you know, some guys there who have to be labeled as surprises based on their draft rankings, um, but kind of seen some kind of seen different paths with those guys in terms of um, you know, their trajectory to being on on the top 100 list. Does any one of those guys surprise you more than the others what what they've accomplished and and where they are now compared to where they were at draft time 2 years ago? I think. Yes and no. What's the answer? Yes and
0: no? Yeah, I will say yes. Um, Yeah, but I won't tell you which player it is. I'll just say yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, we've talked about him a bunch on the podcast, and we're probably going to touch him a little. To me, it's Tanner Byvey, Jonathan. I mean, he was your guy, Cal State Fullerton. He's my guy. I do our Guardians rankings now. And, I mean, we're talking about a guy who threw a bunch of strikes with pretty average stuff at Fullerton didn't have a particularly distinguished. I mean, he was our number one starter for a couple of years, but wasn't like he dominated and he gets into pro ball and he adds a bunch of velocity and life to his pitches with while retaining the control. And not only is he in the middle of the top 100, I mean, he's in the big leagues as we record this, he's made one start and it went really, really well. Um, So to me, he would be, I think the biggest surprise to me, of the of the guys who've jumped onto
2: the top 100. So, so you take the yes, and I'll take the no. And I think the only the only reason why it's no is because of what the Guardians, you know, whatever's in their secret sauce for for pitching development. You know they've 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 run this play before, um, and and it's worked. You know, I stay away from comps. I think Jim and I both have a disdain for them. And it's not like he is the same pitcher. He's not. But it's a very, very similar path to that of Shane Bieber, a guy who, you know, from California College, strike throwing machine. They bring him into the system, and they they just find these guys, and they add strength and they add quality to their pitches. And it's not just those two, you know. I think so. That's the only no is that the Guardians. Are really good with pitching development. So now if I'm always on the eye for those kinds of strike throwing college pitchers uh, and if the guardians draft them, I think, you know, in a couple years, they may end up being a lot more than what, uh, you know, what we think they were going to be heading into the draft.
0: Alex, our producer needs to find the clip of when Shane Bieber was drafted in 2016 on day two, Jonathan sang baby, baby uh really? which i guess is a justin bieber song i i it's etched or scarred on my mind <laughs> and we we need alex to find that clip so anytime
2: Sheen bieber is mentioned on the podcast i don't think we're, we're allowed can... to pl- uh well you we can play me singing it is that like I, I don't want to get us in any uh copyright probably, no we can't play it that's true it, it sounds like i could excuse. have gotten in trouble back then did you prepare that my morning
1: by the way yeah exactly he, you were supposed no. to learn a song for this come week. on no. I
0: didn't. Uh, Sorry. Wow. I, I had the same thought immediately
2: too. Like, where's our Amarillo by morning?
1: $25,000 fine per week. I know.
2: Well, the funny thing is I thought about it this morning. I'm like, I meant to
1: <laughs> looking back at this class, the top of the rankings, Jack Leiter was number two. Ranked number two was the number two overall pick. Um, he's fallen off down to number 69 on the top one hundred prospects list. Henry Davis, the number one overall pick who was number ranked number five is at 49. Jackson Job, who was the number three overall pick, and ranked number seven, is at 55. Uh, Quite a few guys, you know, ranked very high in the 2021 draft rankings list who've fallen, if not uh, plummeted. Is plummeted too too extreme? Maybe a little extreme. We we don't have to get into each of these guys, but I was just going to rattle off. The highest ranked 2021 draft prospects who did sign but are not currently on a team top 30 list. Number 37 overall, Tyler Whitaker went to the Astros at 87. Matthew Nelson was ranked number 40 overall, went number 35 to the Reds. Adrian Del Castillo was number 42, went to the D-backs at 67. Tommy Mace was number 45, uh, went to the Guardians at 69. And Matt Mikulski was number 50, uh, and went number 50 to the Giants. So that's just kind of a, a look at the other end of the spectrum. Um, uh, but back to the back to the positive side, some of the other guys who have made jumps, James Wood was ranked number 44, is now up to number 15. Kyle Manzardo, who was number 81, is now 65. Andrew Painter, uh, highest ranked on the top 100 list from the class at number four. He was number 18 then. And we mentioned Bryce Miller was number 91, is number 90. What did we say? 21 players from that draft class are now on the top 100 list. Very appropriate number. Thirteen of them first rounders, four second rounders, a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder, and can you guys name the five players from the class who have de- made their major league debuts?
0: Tanner Bobby? <laughs> There's one, right? Yes. Yeah,
1: and actually, only f- as we record this, only four have. But I'm I'm counting the aforementioned
2: Bryce, Bryce Miller, Miller. who's yeah. going to yeah pitch this evening. That name after- should tip
1: you off to another. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. The the last name in particular, Miller. Oh, Bryce Miller. Oh, wait, but he's pitching today. You mean other than him? Yep. There's, there's another Miller, is what
0: he's trying to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's stumping. It's stumping me. It's not Bobby because he was 2000. Oh, it's, it's, it's Mason Miller. There you go. Oh,
1: that's who, who right. who
0: is like? I think I don't have all my combine data in front of me, but I think he threw the most impressive bullpen at the inaugural draft combine. There you go. So, you, so there's one. So we're we're missing two.
1: Yeah, the, and one of them, uh, the, you're missing the guy who debuted first. Remember, the Angels have had the... Oh, uh,
2: Chase, yeah, Sil Seth. Yeah. Sil Seth, right, okay.
1: And a third-rounder, Braves.
2: Oh, um, the... Uh, it's the Dylan The big Dodd. lefty, Dylan, Dylan Dot.
1: There you go. And, you know, those guys, 11th-rounder, third-rounder, third-rounder, fifth-rounder, fourth-rounder, not not that they're necessarily going to, you know, have the best big league careers of anyone because they reached the big leagues first, but, you know, guys who are not First round picks, not even second round picks. You can um,
0: find
2: big leaguers quick, anywhere. Jason, quick to the bigs, everywhere.
0: Who do you think will be the first first rounder to the big leagues? I, I would have thought Sal Freilich before he he injured his finger. It's a finger injury, right? Like I I thought he was on the verge. I, I don't know that we have an imminent first rounder like in the next month or so that comes to mind is going to appear in the big leagues.
1: Colton mm-hmm. Cowser is
2: uh... he's probably your best bet
1: at triple at least
2: yeah it's a, that's just a question of you know the room
1: yeah they're running out of spots to mm-hmm. play all these these top rated prospects all right we are going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk to the guy who spawned all this talk about the 2021 draft class that was the number one ranked player in that draft class and now red sox number one prospect marcelo meyer that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
2: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we are very pleased to be joined by Red Sox number one prospect, Marcelo Meyer. Marcelo, you uh, kind of spawned a big conversation for us when we knew we were going to have you on the show. We started looking back at your draft class because we had you ranked as the number one uh, draft prospect in that class. Uh, Going back to that time, and I actually want to go back a little bit even before that, but going back to that time, talk, talk about your experience with that whole process and and what that was like leading up to the draft, knowing that you were, you know, the number one prospect in the class, potentially number one overall pick. Uh, just talk a, a little bit about how that uh, whole experience went for you.
3: Yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, obviously I'm saying that not looking back, you know, it was um, some nervous times, some exciting times, but, you know, I had a great time. You know, you only had drafted once, so my mentality was just to enjoy, enjoy the hell out of it. But, yeah, it was pretty nerve-wracking. I mean, to be a top prospect like that and then, you know, going into the draft like that morning, I was so nervous just because I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I'm glad I ended up where I did, but it was a really cool experience.
2: You know, Marcel, one of the things we talked about with that class is, you know, there's a ton of high school shortstops. Yeah. You know, it was a really exciting class. How much do you sort of keep track of how they're doing, you know, uh, I've heard from a lot of guys that there's almost a, a, a fraternity formed guys in your draft class in general, but there are so many that sort of check off the same box as you. Do you keep tabs on each other? Is there a group chat, you know, just to the short stops? Like, how much are you checking in on these guys and, and how they've been doing so far as they go through the same process as you?
3: Yeah, there's no group chat, but, you know, I definitely... That's Yeah, I know, right? I definitely do keep... <laughs> I definitely do look and see, you know, how the others are doing. I grew up playing with them, you know, like in PG events, USA baseball events. So so just seeing them and seeing their successes, is pretty cool.
0: Marcelo Jim Callis here, and I'm going to stick on the shortstop theme a little bit, but take it in a little bit different direction. You know, the Red Sox have been on this run of, of drafting California high school middle infielders. You know, the year before you, it was Nick York, then they took you. The last year, they took Mikey Romero and then Cutter Coffee with a later pick. I was just curious, did you know any of these guys? Did you play with them? Are you friends with them?
3: Yeah, so I knew Nick Nick York just by playing against him in travel ball. Cutter Coffee's uh, age below me, so I didn't really play against him, but I knew of him because of Mikey Romero. And then, yeah, I know Mikey Romero very well. I know his family very well. We played together um, with San Diego Show for two years, so we created a pretty good friendship. So to see that happen was, was a pretty special moment.
1: Hey, Marcelo, draft time comes. You get picked by the Red Sox. You are, and how did this happen, a Yankees fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how were you a Yankees fan? W- I was,
3: was a Yankees fan. <laughs> yeah,
1: you, you were. Right answer. Quick to, uh, I mean, that's, that's got to be something, right? You, you get pe- picked by your, arch, your favorite team's arch rival and have to just kind of cut ties. Uh, but I was curious how, how that came about, that you became a, a Yankees fan of Southern California.
3: Yeah, pretty much just grew one because of Derek Jeter. You know, I love the way he played. I love the way he was. And then, you know, I just wanted to be him growing up. He was my favorite player. He still is. So, and he wore a Yankees jersey his whole career. So that made me like a pretty big Yankees fan.
2: Have you ever had a chance to to meet
3: Jeter? Uh, Hopefully one day.
2: He's got to get up to Boston during a, you know, big Yankee Red Sox uh, rivalry series. Then you'll get to meet him. Yeah, for sure. You know, you don't want to look too far ahead, but looking, you know, looking at the, at the, the big leagues, you've got Xander Bogarts there for eternity, it might seem like. Is that something that you have to like remind yourself to keep out of your mind just because of the task at hand? I mean, you're, you're still in, in high A ball. It's not happening tomorrow. How, how do you, you know, make sure that that's not something that creeps into your thoughts in terms of like, well, where am I going to go?
3: Yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm in high A ball right now. It's not happening tomorrow. So for me, the biggest thing is just being where my feet are, being present, you know, controlling the controllables. I can't control, you know, what decision any front office makes or anything like that. So the only thing I control is going out there, playing hard, playing my game, and, you know, doing whatever I can to make it to the big leagues.
1: Marcel, I wanted to ask you a little bit. I said I'd go back even beyond the draft. Your parents met in or around Mexico. Your your mother was born there. I was kind of curious whether – did you have a chance to – uh, see the Mexico series at all did you have any sort of you know particular interest in that and uh, I think I think you have some you have some family uh, What a grandfather that played in, in the minor leagues as well
3: yeah I did I did
1: do you have sort of a, an invested interest in baseball in Mexico
3: yeah for sure I mean I think I watched all the world baseball classic games just because they're so fun to watch but you know if I ever get the opportunity you know in three years or whenever yeah it's something I'd for sure consider
0: you know, Marcel, you're just getting your career is just starting. You played your first full season last year. You dealt with some, some wrist and back injuries. You're off to, you know, your second full season starting now. And I always like to ask guys when they're embarking on their careers, what's something that was maybe more difficult that you anticipated as you transitioned into pro ball? And if there was something that was maybe a little easier than you thought it might have been before you began your pro career.
3: I think the most difficult part is, you know, just getting used to playing every day. You go from, especially high school kids, they go from playing two, three games a week to playing six. So that's a pretty big adjustment to make, especially not knowing, you know, what to expect going into your first season. Obviously, it's a much different. um, It's different this year just because it's my second year. I know what to expect. But I think that was the biggest adjustment I had to make. And then as far as what's been easiest, I think. I mean, I think you're just playing baseball. You know, it's the same game. Obviously, it's a little bit more, like it's at a higher level, but it's still baseball, and you still need to approach it that way. So, I think if you put a little bit too much like pressure on yourself because you're in pro ball, I think that's where things can go wrong. But at the end of the day, it's still you're still playing a baseball game.
2: You know, Marcel. I know no one wants to have to deal with injuries. I'm sure one of the things that was tough for you was your first full year. You you got you got banged up a, a decent amount and missed. A lot of time how frustrating was that but also how much did you learn about things like taking care of your body you mentioned the playing every day kind of thing just uh, can you look back at that and as frustrating as it was realizing like all right well i kind of learned how to to deal with that part of the game which you probably hadn't had to do much of before then
3: yeah 100 percent. i mean it was a super frustrating time you know obviously i'm super competitive and i want to be on the field every single day so so that injury really was frustrating to me but like you said it was a great learning experience i think i've taken a lot of positives out of that going into this year i feel great going into that off season so even though that happened to me i think it was you know beneficial for for me like building myself as a pro
1: i want to steal one of uh jim callis's questions here uh jim jim often asks our guests uh who is who's the best pitcher that you would say you have faced so far. And this could be, you know, this could be in the minor leagues. It could be somebody you faced in, in uh, spring training. And also uh, curious about who we, just the best player that you've faced. Uh, not, not a pitcher, but somebody on the other side of the diamond.
3: Let me think about that one. There's a lot of
1: putting you on the spot here. I know there, there's plenty yeah, of the There's Chiefs a thing. lot of
3: good pitchers. There's a lot of good pitchers. Um, I mean, while I faced my I had this, uh, this spring training, so he's one of the best pitchers in the league so that's a it's a pretty easy answer especially from the left side left on left it was a pretty cool experience especially playing at the Trop so he's he's for sure one of the top pitchers I face
1: and how about somebody that you know maybe in the early stages here of your your minor league career that when you've gone into you know you've gone into a series and like oh wow I get to see this guy or I get to face this guy that either somebody you've faced before or just heard a lot about
3: um I'm gonna give some love to the SoCal area. I think it was uh, last year, Jared Jones. I think it was like my second week in high, a, and he was throwing ninety-seven, ninety-eight with a banging slider that he kept throwing me back door. So yeah, I think that was a pretty tough at bat. I think I saw him like ten times that week because he pitched twice. So yeah, I think Jared Jones is up there. He's a he's a great guy too and a great pitcher. He's taking a big step forward too in
2: terms of going from the thrower that you may saw in high school to a guy who actually knows how to pitch. So that probably added to that challenge. I I wanted to ask you just to start, you know, you, you move up a level. um, And wanted to ask you what you saw as the differences you you got off to a, a little bit of a, of a slow start, small sample size. um, But uh, doing some very quick math just over your last 11 games, you probably hit more like Marcelo Meyer expects to hit, right? Three eighteen uh, on base over four twenty. Uh, you know, do you feel like you're you're starting to settle in and get more comfortable? And what were the differences between low A
3: and high A that you've seen so far? I think the biggest difference between the two is pitchers have a little bit more control; they're throwing their off speed a little bit more in hitters counts. And I'm sure it's going to get more and more like um, like that as you go up in levels. But yeah, I think part of my early struggles was I was just putting too much pressure on myself getting out of my own game and I just had to really settle in you know and focus on myself focus on what I had to do focus on the task at hand and I think that helped me you know you know get out of the little funks I was in all right
1: Marcelo thanks very much for taking the time to join us we appreciate it know you're on the road I have plenty to do there and we look forward to seeing you down the road Uh, We are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look at some recent big league call-ups, what to expect from them, our first rookie power rankings of the year, the prospect team of the week, and answer a question from the mailbag. That's all coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
3: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you guys.
1: welcome back to the mlb pipeline podcast i'm jason ratliff with jim Callis and jonathan mayo we have a lot of exciting big league call-ups going on recently we talked about a couple of them because we're talking about the 2021 class uh draft class tanner bybee bryce miller want to dig into them a little bit more and then we also have gavin stone and michael bush of the dodgers uh, making their big league debuts Bybee, number 57 on the Top 100 Prospects list, had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, excellent guest, and he is he's already made his big league debut. But Jim, when it happened, we weren't sure exactly what the situation was, if we were going to see him just once and then back down. But uh, how much did his strong performance uh, factor into us seeing him again?
0: Well, I think it helped, but I, th- I think that they've had guys get hurt. They've had to use guys who they were going to, like Xavier and Curry, who was going to perhaps get, he was in line to get the start on the day that Bobby got called up to make his first start, but they had to use him in relief. They had a doubleheader that kind of taxed their pitching staff. Um, I think it helped. It's still a little unclear how long he's going to stay. Now, now, obviously, if he continues to do what he did against the Rockies where he gives up one run in five and two thirds innings and strikes out eight while walking none. He's going to, you know, stay for a while, but you know, I mean, a lot of guys, we say this all the time, or at least I do. A lot of times when guys get to the big leagues, they lapse into trying to do too much because they feel like they have to do more rather than saying, this is what got me here. I'm just going to do that until I find out it doesn't work. And he actually, you know, stayed under control. He threw 60 and 91 pitches for strikes. And, The stuff was really, really good. I mean, he, you know, eight strikeouts. I think five of them were on his slider, which is one of those improved pitches we talked about. It was his third or fourth pitch in college. Now it's an 82 to 87 mile an hour, you know, slider with a lot of sweep and he can turn it into a harder cutter. And we saw the velocity too, you know, when he averaged, you know, back in college as a senior, he averaged 92 miles an hour with a fastball. And now he's sitting 94, 96. I think he touched 98 against the Rockies. He's hit 99 before it's got carry it's arm side run. And he still has the command. So a little up in the air as to how long he's going to be up for. Um, but I mean, the Indians, I mean, yeah, there I get fined, $25,000. Uh, the Guardians are trying to win. So if he gives them a chance, their best chance to win, they're going to keep him in the rotation. Like, it, it's kind of unsettled.
1: No chance for you to uh, even pin that on. Oh, they were the Indians then, as you, you try to wriggle your way out of a, have <laughs> often tried to wriggle your way out of a $25,000 well, fine my, to my, no my, avail.
0: My as I'm looking at our graphic, the welcome to the show graphic, we, we, we did for when he came up. And I, the way the uniform splits, it says D I A N S on one side, and I was just thinking Indians. So I'm blaming wow. the uniform. Their new <laughs> their new goodness. name is too similar to the old name, <laughs> and the uniform it's like a tough font to read, and it was too wrinkled. similar. It's like it, it's 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 they need a clearer font and a clearer name. Damn it. So wow. Now the FCC is going to be after me for another twenty five
1: thousand dollars. So you're piling up the fines here. Yeah. Jonathan, take it away before Jim pours any more money into the coffers here.
2: I'm going to talk about Bryce Miller with the Seattle Mariners. He um you know, unlike the situation being unclear in Cleveland, uh he's going to have a pretty long leash. Uh you know, Robbie Rays out for the year and Bryce Miller competed for a job in the rotation this spring. Uh then they sent him down to Double A, which may have been a little surprising uh since he pitched so well there last year. Uh but now he's back and if he pitches well, that's his spot uh to to lose stuff wise he's the best pitching prospect in, in the system you know people look at it at his overall numbers he had an inflated era but i talked to some folks with the mariners and his stuff all graded out as the best in the system anyway it was a very small sample size four starts and his last one uh was was really good when he only gave up one hit in five innings and uh you know worked much better worked ahead in counts had a probably his best changeup of the year that year and that was a a difference maker but this is a guy who's got legitimate starting pitching stuff uh you know he's got a fastball up to 98 99 at times he's hit triple digits in the past uh and he's been throwing just as hard with as much life with the fastball um you know he's got What's now being described as kind of two different sliders. You've got a a, a hard short one and a more of a sweepy one. Um, and the sweepy one is the out pitch, but he uh, can throw the other one for strikes. He's got a you know a, a good changeup which flashes above average. Uh, the only like worry is that he, you know, he he gave up a bunch of homers early, and so there's some concern about him uh, about the quality of the strikes. You know, con- control over command in that case, but he does throw a lot of strikes. And uh, the stuff is so good that uh, there's not too much concern. So even if people see the, the ERA north of six or whatever it was in his four starts, uh, the Mariners feel that the, the stuff is big league ready. Uh, you know They thought it was you know, big league ready enough for him to compete for, for that rotation spot during spring training, but he didn't win the job, and now it's his to lose. All right. Another pitcher uh,
1: making his big league debut. Uh, this one ranked number forty-eight is Gavin Stone.
0: Yeah, and he's another guy. All my call-ups seem to have uncertainties surrounding him. The Dodgers don't have any injuries in the rotation, but they've been riding their starters a little bit harder than they wanted early in the season. So Stone's coming up, and it may just be to get, push everybody back a day. So he may it, it may just be one star for the Dodgers. He may not last long, but he's he's a fascinating guy. He was the second to last pick. In the 2020 draft, uh, out of Central Arkansas, he actually threw a no-hitter in his last start right before the pandemic shut everything down. And you know, we talk about the Guardians doing wonders with pitchers, and, and so do the Dodgers. And I mean, he's a guy. You know, Stone was working at 91 to 93 miles an hour in college, and and he had very little track record of starting. He made four starts his junior year. Before that, he was a star closer at Central Arkansas. But the Dodgers saw some attributes they liked, thought he could start, thought they could do some things. So anyway, he's gone. He was 91-93 in college. That's where he sat with his fastball. Now he's 94-96, to touching 98 with a ton of induced vertical break that just makes his fastball very hard to hit. He had a downer curveball, was his go-to breaking pitch. The Dodgers had him scrap that. Now he's got a mid-80s slider. that's a pretty solid pitch. But the, the, the pitch that's made the biggest leap for him is his changeup, which he didn't really use as a reliever. He didn't really get much of a chance to use it, making four starts before the pandemic. Now it's, it's one of the best changeups in the minors. It's mid-80s. It's got devastating tumble. He led the minors in the ERA last year. He was fifth in strikeout rate. Um, you know, I mean He's come so far so quickly. And he was really the talk of spring training. They didn't really have an opening, um, but I know by, when I went to Dodgers camp and visited them, at that point he hadn't allowed a run in four cactus league outings. He'd get struck out 14, six and two thirds innings. Um, and I think he had a rough start, his first start at Oklahoma City, and since then he's he's been lights out for the most part. And again, it might just be a start, but I mean this is another one of these Dodgers arm. You know, Ryan Pepio was a third rounder they did the same thing with. We haven't seen Bobby Miller yet, their first round pick in 2020. Um, But he's getting close to making his big league debut. It just never seems to stop with the Dodgers.
1: Yeah. And speaking of never stopping with the Dodgers, number 46 overall prospect also making his debut. So, number 48 and 46 overall for the Dodgers. And can't say enough about the Dodgers, Jim. I mean, Week after week, it seemed actually, I think we've had a a little bit of a respite (laughs) recently. We haven't talked about the Dodgers too much lately.
0: Yeah, when Alex gets the baby, baby clip, he can just find my clip of one of many of me talking about how the Dodgers obviously are a high revenue franchise, but they pour a lot of it into scouting and player development. And even though they don't pick high, they find good players. I think there's incredible synergy between the, the, the scouting staff and the player development staff and the analytics staff, like they know what they want. They know what they can help make better and they just do a great job. And, you know, Michael Bush, another example of that, again, I will continue on my uncertainty theme. He was supposed to be up for three days when Max Muncy went on the paternity list, which is kind of funny because his probably, fit, the, the player he resembles very much is Max Muncy. Um and then, but then JD Martinez has back problems. So Bush is going to be up for at least through Friday. And it's unclear. He's he's made four starts. So they're giving him some at bats. He had two hits last night. And you know, he's always been another testament to Dodgers play development. Now, now offensively, he's always been a guy. Even went back in in high school in Minnesota, he was a top player in the state back in 2016. But it was very much bat over athlete. And those guys often wind up going to college. So he did. He went to North Carolina. Played well for three years. Played very well in the Cape Cod League with wood bats. And was one of the best offensive guys in the 2019 draft, just in terms of all-around ability, in terms of hitting, power, plate discipline. But, you know, he went, I think, 30-first overall to the Dodgers because people weren't sure where he was going to play. It was, if you liked it, fringy speed, fringy arm strength, strength, you could maybe put 40s on him instead of 45s. He played a lot of first base for the Tar Heels. Played a little second base in left field. Nobody was really sure who he was going to play. At that point, there was no DH in the National League either. Um, so it's like, you know, so that's why he went where he did. He's hit as expected. He had some injuries early in his career. We got hit by pitches on his hand, and and but since he's recovered from those, he's been you know everything he was expected to be offensively. But defensively, like it's not even that he's gotten that much quicker or he's throwing that much better. But he's worked really hard to become an adequate second baseman. And, and you you talk to anybody, I think the Dodgers will confess. Honestly, they weren't sure how second base was going to go. People outside the organization were like, this guy had no shot to play second base. And I don't know that you'd want to run him out there 150 games a year at second base, but he can play a creditable second base. And he spent, to his credit, he spent a lot of time working on his defense, even though he knew the bat was going to carry him. He's worked hard. He's still probably better suited for first base or left field. He's made his first two starts in the field at third base for the Dodgers. He played second base last night. And I don't think he's like going to be this like defensive whiz, but like the fact that he's got more versatility than people expected made him an even more attractive prospect than he was coming out of college. Just another example of the Dodgers helping a guy get better. And again, you could talk to people who scouted him as an amateur, and nobody thought he had any chance to play second. Like he's already (laughs) the over under that most people would have given you on games Michael Bush will play in the big leagues would have been half, half a game. And he's already exceeded that because he played one last night. So again, not sure what, what role he'll have, you know, in the short term, they've already got two guys playing, two rookies playing every day in the lineup in Miguel Vargas and James Altman. Um, so he may go back to AAA for a little bit, but the Dodgers depth like just keeps coming and coming and coming.
1: Well, let's not stop talking about him now because we want to talk about the rookie power rankings and a guy who has played his way onto the list is yet another Dodger. Did you read Uh, my mind, Jason? Was this your, uh, you were going to segue this way?
0: Oh, I I just, I love this guy. It's like, we, I guess we had, he always has. I'll give him credit. We weren't going to pick, we weren't going to, we hadn't picked who we're going to talk about, but that was the guy I was most excited about talking about. That's so excited. I interrupted you.
1: (laughs) Well, so, you know, we, uh, we put together our preseason, uh, rookie power rankings, just projecting, uh, the, who the top 10 rookies would be at the end of the season. Uh, we did that heading into the year and now a month in we've, uh, we've reshuffled. And so important to explain the methodology here, um, which, which one of you wants, wants to take that because, uh, we get hammered every time we put this out. How can you have this guy ahead of this guy? This guy has been so much better than this guy. It's not simply who's been best this uh, to this point in the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you kind of explained it right. I nearly there. I nearly explained it. Yeah. I uh, just explained it. Yeah, but I mean, it, to just to add a little bit to that, it, it's who we think will be the top contenders for rookie of the year in each league at the end of the year um so it, as you said it's not a hot hitters or hot pitchers or hot rookies list um it is a sort of snapshot in time you know if we were to vote for a rookie of the year now or or who we think is going to be rookie of the year by the end of the year which is why like a guy could get off to a slow start you know gunner henderson isn't lighting the world on fire but he's still high up on the list because we're all confident he's going to figure it out and by the end of the year we'll be right where we thought he would be, which is in serious contention for American League Rookie of the Year.
0: And nobody will listen to any of that. They'll still get outraged. Like, how can James Altman be be eighth on the list when he's got the highest ops of any rookie? What are you guys right. talking about?
1: So, But he has played himself onto the list. I mean, there's reason to believe that, I mean, among National League, so the, the list goes like this. Uh, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, Hunter Brown, Brett Beatty, Josh Young, Masataka Yoshida, Kodai Senga, uh, James Outman, Grayson Rod- Rodriguez, and Anthony Volpe. So uh, only, what, three National Leaguers on there. Four, one, two, three.
0: Um Were you guys surprised that, that I don't know who everybody voted for, that Jordan Walker fell all the way off the top ten?
1: Yeah, well, I wanted... I was wanted... a little bit.
0: I voted him kind of low, but I still thought he'd make the list.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was too and it, i think the, the problem that you run into when you, you know when you vote is who are you gonna put him who are you gonna put him in front of on this list when guys are, you know, playing and performing and at this point we don't know when he's gonna be back, but it does it did I thought about it kind of in relation to last year. I think we were at this point last year when Rutschman do you remember when Rutschman got called up? Because we did our first ranking and he hadn't been called up yet, but he did get votes right? because you knew he was going to be up. You knew he was going to make an impact. And I feel like Walker,
0: he he debuted on May 21.
1: Right. So we were, you know, we were still a few weeks out from him being called up, but you know, everybody expected him to be up and to make an impact. And I feel like that's the case with Walker still, um, but that he didn't, and maybe he got about the same uh, level uh, of, of what, uh, respect from the voters last year um, as Walker is now. But yeah, I, I was a little surprised too. I mean, I don't think n- no one had him, uh higher than ninth on their list.
2: Yeah. I, maybe we're just, uh, I'll say like, I didn't, uh, I didn't vote for him. Maybe I was so stunned that the Cardinals sent him down that I, I, that, made me forget about him. I, I you know, if, if I had put him, I would have put him ninth or 10th, probably like, uh, like other folks did. Um, But yeah, the fact that that was surprising. So then I don't know, well, when is he going to be back? Because it didn't seem like he needed to go down in the first place. I don't know. I, I, like, I, I didn't give it much thought at the time. I'm trying to make sense of my I, no I vote. I voted
0: him 10th, Jonathan. Yeah. So it's not like I voted him third, but I just, when I voted him 10th, I was, I actually had the thought like, oh, I bet I'm the low guy. Because I just assumed you know he's so high on the top 100 prospects list, and he had performed fairly well. You know, he'd slumped a little bit toward the end before the sent him down. That it's 20 uh,
2: games. I mean, yeah, you
0: I, you know. Know, yeah. But I, I, so anyway, I, I I think it speaks to like there there are a lot of candidates, but I just I was kind of surprised when I saw how the vote came out. I was like, oh, Jordan Walker didn't get the list. I guess I wasn't the low guy on him.
1: Yeah, and he was third uh, on the preseason list. He is one of four players who dropped off from the preseason list, but by far the highest ranked, uh, Tristan Casas was number seven entering the season. He dropped off the list as did numbers nine and 10, Miguel Vargas and Ezekiel Tovar new to the list. Uh, Hunter Brown jumped all the way up to three, Brett Beatty jumped all the way up to four. And then the aforementioned James Outman is at number eight and Grayson Rodriguez is at number nine. Uh, a lot of American league flavor on here. Um, I guess you have to say at this point that the National League Rookie of the Year race. I mean, obviously it's it's, it's wide over. open because it's it's over. Uh, it's May second, <laughs> but, but um, you know only Beatty, Altman, and Sanga on there from the
0: Corbin Carroll. Oh shoot, Corbin Carroll. Oh yeah,
1: oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're saying <clears throat> you you really mean it's over? Huh? Yeah. Well.
0: I don't know if the season ended today, which, again, this is not what this list is. Right. James Altman would be your National League Rookie of the Year. So I disagree. Really? Oh, you'd be wrong. <laughs> I'd be wrong? Well, one guy's got What's seven that? homers and 20 RBIs and a 991 Ops. I think he would win the award over Corbin Carroll if, if the vote were right now.
2: I would agree with that. I don't know. I think it'd be close,
0: but I mean, I'm going to throw in my James Altman love. Cause I got, I got distracted, but it, it my, my, my spiel about how the Dodgers again do a great job of what they're looking for. James Altman, seventh round pick hit 249 in college at Sacramento state and the Dodgers liked his tools and thought they could work with his swing. And it took some time, but they, he made some adjustments to his, his left-handed stroke. He kind of settled down his approach. Um, and I mean, he's, loaded with tools i mean i fell in love with him as a prospect when we saw him in the fall league a couple of years ago i thought he was the best defensive player in the league like he's very good center fielder plus arm hits for power plus speed i don't think he's going to be a high average hitter you know and even like while he's performed the strikeouts have been up but i mean this is a guy who's a seventh round pick who didn't even hit 250 in college and now he's been as good a hitter as the dodgers have had in the first month of the season and we're not talking about you know the A's or the Rockies or some team that's rebuilding. And this is a team that's like World Series or bust, and he's their everyday center fielder and, and playing great offensively and defensively.
1: I, I completely glossed over Corbin Carroll when talking about the National League race. Uh, on the American League side, uh, Gunnar Henderson is still our at the top of our American leaguers on the rookie power rankings. But he's off to a slow start and... Hunter Brown has looked very good. So Henderson's at 2, Brown is at 3. Josh Young has been good as well. Uh how confident are you guys? If you had to bet now and you can't do this, you absolutely cannot well, bet we on Well we can, but we baseball,
0: can't by our job policy. We, we we legally could, but we might lose our jobs. So Le-
1: Yeah, don't do that. Uh, We're not
0: really allowed to give betting advice, though, Jason. So like are you trying to get us both fired here? N-
1: all right, let's let's not uh, <laughs> let's not let's not bet on it or suggest anyone does. But I'd, if you like were to, to withdrawn, we'd like to. If you were to guess uh, who wins the American League Rookie of the Year, would you take Gunnar Henderson or would you take the field at this point?
0: I would take the field just for sheer numbers. Now, if I had to take one individual player, I would still bet on Gunnar Henderson. Well, I would I would suggest that Gunnar Henderson would win the award.
2: Yes, I I am still a Gunnar Henderson believer. Who uh who was who did you have
1: next when you voted in the in the American League? Do I had guys, Hunter
2: I you, had Hunter Brown.
1: Did you I both th- have Hunter Brown? I think so. So you take Henderson over over Brown at this point.
2: I, well, yes, I definitely would. I have to check to see who I Okay.
0: Yes. But like if you if you give me the feel like I I would still pick him, but if you give me Hunter Brown and Josh Young and Yoshida and I'm right, forgetting. Sure. Gun- and Gunnar Henderson, I would definitely take the field. But like, I still, yeah, you know, I, I think he's hitting some tough luck. I mean, that's easy to say, but like, it's. I, I think I still all the reasons I thought he was the best prospect in baseball coming into the season. I still believe in him wholeheartedly. One
1: eighty nine, three forty eight, three eleven. You no know, slash a line through twenty three games.
0: I, I'm sure. I'm sure. I have not checked the Twitter reactions to the story. I'm sure Twitter's. 90% of the people who respond to the tweet are like, I, I could go to Henderson be number two. He's hitting 189. But that's, as we've pointed out, not what the story
2: says I love your indignant baseball fan voice. Yeah. It's spot on.
0: That, that, that's a indignant baseball fan on Twitter voice. I have different indignant fan You could fan.
2: read mean, mean rookie uh, power ranking tweets. Oh,
0: why is Akil Badu not ranked higher?
2: <laughs> Going back there.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, Let's talk about the prospect team of the week. Some guys in the minors who had a very good week last year. Run down the list quickly. The catcher, Dylan Dingler of the Tigers. First base, Christian Encarnacion Strand. Well, a couple of reds, uh, first and second base. Uh, Carlos Jorge at second base. Third base, Jeremiah Jackson of the Angels. Shortstop, Junior Caminero of the Rays. Outfield, Denzel Clark of the A's. Jonathan Classe of the the Mariners, Dominic Canzone of the D-backs, and then on the mound, Carson Wisenhunt, Brian Wu, and reliever Ethan Small, and uh, Jonathan. Can I ask you guys
0: a quick quiz real quick? Very quick quiz. Very quick quiz. <laughs> Who's the only player to make two P-tows so far this year? Only repeat prospect team the
1: weaker thus far. No idea. Is it somebody on this week's It team?
2: is. It is somebody on this I, week's I figured team. he wouldn't ask otherwise.
1: Um, Class shoot. A. Incorrect. St- is it Encarnacion Strand?
0: It is. That is also incorrect. Dominic Canzone. So, yeah. like, huh. like if you had Dominic Canzone in your pool for first repeat prospect team of the weeker,
1: I bet a lot of people did. Because we, there were a lot of people in that pool.
0: I don't know. <laughs> and I, like, I don't think you can wager on that legally. I don't think DraftKings no. offers that, so.
1: Um, Jonathan, I know, uh, there's a player on, so I, how many top? there's one top 100 prospect on this week's team. Is that, I believe that's that a, correct, but there, um, there are some guys oh, you, yeah, junior,
0: and barely. Cause we just added junior Camonera.
1: Yeah. But there are some guys that you think could end up on that list at some point. Or well, at least one
2: guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one who's interesting to me, and I don't know if he'll ever quite reach top 100 status, but he is moving in that direction. That's Jonathan Classé uh, of the Mariners, who kind of entered pro ball as a pure speed guy. Uh, people weren't sure about the impact with the bat, um, you know, but... You know, last year, he kind of took a step forward with a lot more extra base pop, slugged 463, stole 55 bases, but also struck out a good amount. So, you know, that's the one thing to watch with him. And this year, he's moved up to high A. He's still very young. He's got a, a an ops over 1,100. Uh, he is not yet 21 years old. He turns 21 later uh, this year and has seven homers, and 16 steals in 20 games. So um, he is really interesting to me as a guy like that I'm keeping an eye on that if he continues to move in in this direction, uh, I think we will start having to talk about him as a potential top 100 guy just because he's putting up incredible numbers in the Northwest League at a very young age.
1: All right, Jim, a guy here who interests you, and does he have top 100 potential?
0: Yeah, I'll stick with the top 100 potential theme, and I'll bring up Carson Wisnett of the Giants. You know, We talked about him a lot in last year's draft where he was the best healthy college left-hander available in a year when a lot of the best college pitchers were hurt, but he didn't throw a pitch all year because he had a year-long suspension after testing positive for performance-enhancing drug. He got, went up to the Cape Cod League to kind of show what he could still do. Got knocked around a little bit. Giants took him in the second round. I want to say, Jonathan, if I'm remembering this correctly, were you at his AFL debut where his changeup was spectacular? Or am I imagining no, that? No, you are imagining that. Okay. Somebody I talked to <laughs> was, I don't know if it was Sam or it was somebody else I talked to in the fall. Anyway, he went to the fall league. His first outing there. His changeup was, was I mean, it's his best pitch. It's a plus-plus changeup, and it looked every bit that. And all the scouts were like, oh, my gosh, this guy's pretty spectacular with the changeup. You know, the rest of the stuff, fastball, the curveball, the control are somewhat average. But he can really pitch off the changeup, and he's off to a good start this year. I don't know how many innings he'll go because he didn't pitch a lot of innings last year. But it just took him four starts in low A to get a promotion to high A where he— pitched four shutout innings with six strikeouts and no walks in his first start. And he's a guy who I think could move very quickly. Um, you know, with that, that change up, I, I'll be curious. I mean, to see how well it plays in double a, but I think he's just going to destroy a ball hitters with it. And, you know, if he does, we could see him on the top 100.
1: All right. Let's wrap this thing up. in one of our favorite ways to wrap up a podcast episode, and that is by
2: answering a question from our old friend, Stevie D. He's back. You say that like we end, wrap up in any other way. <laughs> we, One of our favorite ways? Okay, please continue.
1: No, I, I, I'm specifically with a question from Steve. Oh, D. Oh, from we, Stevie D. Yes, I see. My yes. apologies. Please continue. Yes. Show the proper respect to Stevie D. Um, our most frequent uh, mailbag question submitter uh, asks, outside of Dylan Cruz, which outfield prospect in the 2023 draft class Would you want on your team for the future, which I believe sets us up for the old, no, no, I was going to say for the old uh, Walker Jenkins, Max Uh, Clark debate, but I guess uh, there's another, there's another name in there. I I was thinking high school guys. So yeah, I'm I'm with you, Stevie D. I want to know the answer to this question. It's well, not just it's not just the Jenkins Clark debate. You've got Wyatt no, you got, there you
2: got Wyatt Langford. Uh, those are the three, uh, and they're you know I think you could put them in any order that you wanted to. I know Jim's working on his first full mock, uh, so you know he's he's contemplating this. Um, and I will, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to be on the Max Clark bandwagon. Uh, you know, if I'm going to pick one one guy. I think that he has the highest ceiling uh, of any of the other outfielders. He might have a higher ceiling than Dylan Cruz when all is said and done, just because of the potential to have five plus tools. Uh, he is the one who is the no doubt about it center fielder. He's got a plus arm. Uh, you know, the power is, is starting to emerge more. You know, we'll sort of see what happens once he gets into pro ball, but that's legitimate. So I, I just think the 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 ceiling for him is a bit higher, and I like all the other guys. Um, you know, and the fact that he is a left-handed hitter, uh, so is so is Jenkins, by the way. Like I think that works to his advantage as well. So I'm going to give uh, my vote, and to answer Stevie D's question to Max Clark.
0: So I can't answer this question, yes
2: and no. Um, <laughs> no, but okay. you could pick two guys.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I could only have one, I'll just take all three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna combine them into a super outfielder named Max Walker Langford, um, who can play all three outfield spots at the same time. I like it. Um, no, it, it's a great question. I mean, we have these guys ranked three, four, five on our our um, our draft top one hundred and fifty. I think the consensus, very much so in baseball right now, is that Cruz and Skeen should go one, two, and two, one. And then you're looking at the three outfielders as the next three players in the draft on a tier by themselves, and you know, you got to balance some of it's philosophical. You know, Langford's done it in college, so there's less risk involved. I mean, he's got a high ceiling too, but you've seen him perform very well in the SEC, which is the best conference in college baseball. And as exciting as Jenkins and Clark are, obviously, it's a big difference from the high school showcase circuit to to proving it at the SEC level. Yep. And and like you said, Jonathan, I think you could. You could take Lankford because he's – I think they're all kind of similar hitters. I think Lankford and Jenkins have more power than Clark. I think Lankford's like the least of the three likely to stay in center field. But you could say, okay, I want Lankford because he's proven at the college level I have more confidence. Like I, I he's, he's shown it to me. You could pick Clark like you just did, Jonathan, because he probably has the best all-around tools of the bunch. And there's no doubt he's going to play in center field. I am going to go neither of those roads. I'm going to take Walker Jenkins, um, for the high school outfielder from North Carolina. I'm taking him, like when I, like especially top of the draft, I will err on the side of ceiling. And I think he has the highest offensive ceiling of these three guys. Um, I think he's got more power than Clark. I think he's a comparable hitter and he's running better. I think he's got a better chance to stick in center field. Than people would have given him coming into the year, but I would, I would take Walker Jenkins. I, I, I will say, like, if the draft, a quick sneak preview of the mock, that I do think I will have the first five players on our list go in some order to the first five teams uh, in the draft order in, in the mock draft. And I was gonna say, like, the easiest decision to me today would belong to the Minnesota Twins, who are the big winners in draft lottery. They jumped all the way up to number five. And I think their decision simply, you know, again, if the draft is today and nobody cuts a deal like a discount deal ahead of them is, you're just taking whichever of those five guys is on the board at number five. And, you know, Sean Johnson and company are thanking, you know, their luck again that they jumped all the way up to number five. And I think the A's, you know, we had Eric Kubota on our, our show and he was worried about the draft lottery and his biggest fears came true because they plummeted all the way down to six. I feel bad for the A's because they were kind of the biggest losers in the draft lottery. And they're not going to get one of the clear cut top five guys unless something goofy happens.
1: All right. So I, I said it didn't come down to the old Clark Jenkins debate and well, then it did. (laughs) Uh, Thanks to Stevie D for that question. Thanks to Marcelo Meyer for joining us and thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, Leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.